This morning, would you turn your Bibles with me to the New Testament book of Colossians. Colossians chapter 1 is where we're going to begin today. We are in a new series for a new year, and it'll take us all the way up to Palm Sunday. And our series is called Greater, and we'll be working our way through the Apostle Paul's letter to the church at Colossae. Now we're calling this series Greater because that's the theme or that's the subject of this letter. In the letter to the Colossians, we see that Jesus himself, the salvation that he gives us and the life that he calls us to is greater than any other gods, it's greater than any other gospels or any other lifestyles. Now the greatness of Jesus is not merely subjective or dependent upon our feelings or our experiences. The superiority and the greatness is objectively rooted in who he is, according to Colossians chapter 1, verse 15, the image of the invisible God, in whom all the deity, fullness of the deity, lives in bodily form, according to Colossians chapter 2, verse 9. Now in this letter, Paul writes that Jesus is a greater God, and following him is a greater life. And he's greater than worldly philosophies, according to chapter 2, verse 1. He's greater than empty religion, according to chapter 2, verse 16. He gives us a greater identity, according to chapter 3, verse 1. And he calls us to a greater lifestyle, according to chapter 3, verse 5. And he calls us to a greater mission, according to Colossians chapter 4, verse 2. So let's take a look at our text this morning, Colossians chapter 1, verses 1 through 8. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to God's holy people in Colossae, the faithful brothers and sisters in Christ, grace and peace to you from God our Father. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, because we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love you have for all God's people, the faith and love that spring from the hope stored up for you in heaven and about which you have already heard in the true message of the gospel that has come to you. In the same way, the gospel is bearing fruit and growing throughout the whole world just as it has been doing among you since the day you heard it and truly understood God's grace. You learned it from Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who is a faithful minister of Christ on our behalf and who also told us of your love in the Spirit. It's God's word for us today. As we begin this letter, let's take a look at first the context of where this letter comes from and what it's about. And in the context, we see that the Apostle Paul, well, he, he identifies himself as an apostle. Now, an apostle is a sent one, or one who is sent on behalf of another. And I was trying to think of what, what we have in our world today that can sort of help us to understand apostle. And the best thing, well, it wasn't the best thing, but it's something that I thought of was that um, probably about four or five months ago, I, I, I got home from the office and everyone was hungry and we didn't have any Thing that I could think of that we could make for dinner at, in the 
in the house. I think you've probably understood that or you understand that. So I, I said, okay, I'm going to go get dinner at a drive through place and I'll bring it home. Everyone says, okay. And then someone in our family says, get me a BRC, beans, rice, and cheese burrito. It's very delicious. If it's, she says, get me a BRC, but hold the C. And I'm thinking, okay, all right. Um, and don't forget to get lots extra green and red salsa. I said, oh, okay. Get me a salad and get me this and that. And so I'm writing it all down on my phone. And then as I'm leaving the house, someone says, check the order before you leave. I said, all right. So I go and I order. I go through the drive-thru and I order and then I get the food and I just, I take off home. I come home and they open the bag. They're excited and my wife says, did you check the order? And I said, well, no. And then the BRC orderer takes a bite and says, there's C in my BRC. <laughs> so my wife hands me the receipt and says, take this back and, and ask them to get it right. So I go back over there, and I have to walk in this time. I can't go to the drive-thru. And I say, I am Janet's apostle. <laughs> No, I, I, I didn't say that. But I'm, I'm sent by her. I have the authority. You know, I have the receipt in my hand. I'm under her authority. I did it wrong the first time. I'm trying to make it right. I have the receipt. I'm here. And that's really, it's, it's one who has authority sent out by another. And Paul's writing this letter to this church of people whom he never met. He probably met a few of them in the church, but... He, he'd never attended worship there. And he wants them to know who he is and where his authority is coming from. And there's only this small handful of people that Jesus personally sent out, that he personally sent out, and Paul is one of them. And therefore, this letter that the Apostle Paul writes carries some weight to it. It's, a, it's authoritative. It's to be read carefully. It, the instruction is to be followed. The commands are to be obeyed. You see the weight of this letter here? Just in the first few words, we get this. It's sent by this man whom they have never met as this church receives this letter. But they've heard of him. This letter says that he's a spokesman of Jesus Christ, and God wants you to read this letter. If we had a letter like that to this church, we'd read it carefully. Well, we do have this letter. It's not just from 60 A.D. when Paul wrote this. If this letter is by the will of God, in which we, we've read, and that God doesn't change, there's something here for, for me and you. And that's why we're looking at the letter to the Colossian church. Now, let's take a look at the, the idea of what it, where is Colossae, anyways? What is this, this town? And I want you to take a look at this map here. And so we have the apostle, and then now we have this map here. And if you, if you look to the middle and just to the left, you'll see Colossae there. And, and you'll see a lot of these different churches that were started, um, and you can see the dots with the crosses in it there. The book of Acts tells us that for two years, Paul lived about 100 miles from Colossae in this port town of Ephesus. So Colossae's not on the coast, it's a little bit inland. We read in the book of Acts that Paul 
taught throughout that whole region, and that's why all these churches got started. And he trained disciples. He made disciples, and he, he trained and equipped young church planters to start churches all throughout this area. Epaphras was one of Paul's protégés, who was a leader in the church at Colossae. Now, Colossae was a small town, very small town, near a major trade route. It had rich soil for crops, and it was good for agriculture, but more for growing pasture land for a special type of sheep, a, black, a sheep with black wool that they, could, that they could shear off and that they could sell. It's very costly. The people of Colossae came up with an expensive, deep red, almost purple dye that became world famous, and they called it Colossinian. But by the time Paul wrote this letter, there was an economic recession. And I think in today's world, we understand that. Think of abandoned strip malls or stores going out of business or, or jobs hard to come by. That's what Colossae was going through as he was writing this letter. And Paul's in prison for preaching the gospel, and he gets a visit from Epaphras, a leader in this church, that tells him that the people in the church are saying things like, well, we like Jesus, but we also like other religions and other ideas, other philosophies. We like horoscopes and fortune tellers. And people are living this Christian lifestyle mixed with other beliefs as well. Does that sound familiar to you? Welcome to Colossae. Now, as Paul writes this letter, he's in Rome, and so you can take a look at the Italian, the, the boot of Italy, and you can see Rome, and so it's a pretty far distance that this letter has to travel from Rome all the way to Colossae. You know, in 2016, we live in a similar day and age. People in our day and age say, I, I claim to be a Christian. I'm, I'm a Christian, but I'll do what I want to do, and I'll think the way I want to think, and I'll believe what I want to believe, regardless of what the Bible says. And I think that sounds familiar, too. Welcome to the South Bay. So we have the apostle, and we have, in context, the town. But I, I want to make this statement, because I think the whole book kind of has this theme, and this statement is this. Who we are in Christ, who we are in Christ is greater than what we are doing in life. Who we are in Christ is greater than what we're doing in life. The beginning of the year is a time that we reflect and we look back on 2015. What happened last year? And too many times we kind of look, critically we look back and we examine what we didn't accomplish. And so we're thinking of what we want to accomplish in this new year. Things we didn't accomplish at work or at school. Things we didn't accomplish financially or with our time or with our relationships or with our fitness goals or with our living situation. So we look forward to this new year and of course it's a, it's a time to, to set goals and uh, make promises to do something more. And this letter that we're beginning here is a reminder that who we are in Christ is greater than anything we're doing in life. I think another phrase that I see here in in verse 2, that's, it jumps out at me just in the beginning, is this phrase, faithful brothers and sisters. Faithful brothers and sisters. And I, and I got to ask myself, just right in the beginning, for all of us here today, are you connected to faithful brothers and sisters in Christ? Are you connected? 
If you want to grow spiritually healthy, especially in this new year, you need to be connected to faithful brothers and sisters in Christ. And one of the ways we do that here, just like what Dave announced, is we do that through small groups. We have to get smaller. We can't just do it in this large crowd here. If you want to grow healthy spiritually this year, you need to get smaller. And so there's a small group for you. And the relationships in small groups is where we make disciples. And so please join a small group today if you aren't already in one. Let's take a look at the body of our text today. Um, we'll call this describing a healthy life of growth. And there's, there's three, three points I want to make today. And the first is found in, in verse 4. And it's this phrase, faith in Christ Jesus. Now, we hear these words in the church a lot. We, we say, I'm a person of faith. And, and, we, and we throw this word out a lot, so much so that it's become a cliche. So let's sort of break this down. Faith in Jesus Christ is belief and trust that results in obedience. Belief and trust that results in obedience. It's a combination of all three. Belief is, is where it starts in the head. It's this intellectual sort of, I believe, and so it's, it's all up here. And then trust is where what you believe here, it moves down into your heart, into, into, into some practical ways. Your belief moves into trust. And then it results in obedience, and it starts in the head, and it goes to the heart. If you want to say, it, it's the action of your hands, or your feet, or your mouth. A belief and a trust that results in obedience. And I, and I thought one of, the, one of the best places to, to sort of illustrate this is found in Mark chapter 5. You can turn your Bibles there, but I'm going to just tell you this story. And it, for, for many of you, it's, it's familiar. In Mark chapter 5, in the Gospel of Mark we find that Jesus and his disciples are going across the lake in a boat. And they get to the other side, and this large crowd starts to gather there. They get out of the boat, and as this large crowd starts to gather, because Jesus is becoming so popular at this point, a synagogue leader named Jarius, he parts the crowd. The crowd's gathering, but Jarius comes just headlong towards Jesus, and the crowd just sort of parts, and he runs up to Jesus and he says, my little daughter is dying. Can you heal her? And so Jesus says, take me to her. And as they're going to Jairus' house, this crowd is sort of pressing in and following him. And then there's a woman there who's been bleeding for 12 years. A constant menstrual cycle for 12 years. And she sees Jesus. The Gospel of Mark, it tells us in chapter 5 that she spent all her money, all of her money on medical care, and she didn't get any better. She was actually getting worse. For 12 years, she's been bleeding. And the pain and the depression that accompanies chronic illness has sucked the life out of her. But she sees Jesus, and he's walking by her in this crowd. So he passes by, and she gets behind him, and she thinks in her mind, if I just reach out and if I just touch him, he'll heal me. And so she does that. She reaches out and touches his coat. She wasn't want to make more of a public disgrace of herself. He th she thinks that he might heal her. And when she reaches out and touches his coat, she's instantly healed and she's 
freed from her suffering. But, but that's not the end of the story because Jesus, out of this whole crowd, he stops and he says, who touched me? Because he senses the power has gone out of, her, out of him. The disciples say, what are you talking about, Jesus? There's a lot of, we're all sort of touching you. We're hurrying you through this crowd to get to Jairus' house because Jairus' daughter is dying. And Jesus stops the whole thing, and the woman's afraid because she's unclean. She's been bleeding for 12 years, and she knows anyone she touches is also unclean. And so she steps forward, and scared to death, she falls to her knees. And she tells him all that she's been through. She tells him her whole story. And Jesus says, daughter. He calls her. He says, my daughter. And, and when he says that, he's saying, no one's going to mess with you. You're my daughter. Because of your faith in me, you are healthy and you are whole and you're free. You see, belief and trust and obedience, faith in Christ is what this is. But while Jesus stops and talks to that woman, someone from Jairus' house comes down and, and he says, it's no use, just forget it, she's already dead. And Jairus is shaken, you can imagine, and Jesus says, don't be afraid, just believe, just trust me. And so Jairus says, well, let's, let's continue to go. So the crowd follows them up to this house and there's people standing around the house and, and they get to the house, they're still on mission, and the bystanders that are there, they're just laughing, like, she's dead, what are you doing here? And Jesus enters the room and sees this lifeless body of this little girl, and he says, Taliatha kumai, which means, little girl, rise up. And this lifeless little girl, she takes a deep breath, <gasps> And she rises up and starts walking around. Maybe you're a professional Christian today, and you know, you know, faith in Jesus Christ. Got it, Dean. Tell me something new. And you say you have faith in Jesus. My question to you is, is it lived out in belief? Is it lived out in trust? And does that result in obedience in your life? How to grow healthy this year? Number one, make sure you have faith in Jesus Christ, which is belief, trust that results in obedience. The second thing we find here at the end of verse 4, leading into verse 5, is this love for all of God's people. It's a decision and an action, not just an emotion. A decision and an action, not just an emotion. Now, aren't you glad that love is not just an emotion? I, I am. It, if love were just an emotion, my marriage would be over. It'd be over. Because I'm frustrating to live with. And as sweet as my wife looks, <laughs> it's true. It's true. We're, it's just real talk here, right? I mean, uh, she's frustrating to live with. But love is not an emotion. There's a lot of emotional love in our relationship, in our marriage. But there's plenty of times over 30 years of marriage that there 
love was not an emotion. And so I, I, I took a look at what John says, because John has these tough words in 1 John chapter 10, that these tough love words. Verse 19 in, in chapter 10, we love because he first loved us. I love that. We love because he first loved us. And then verse 20 gets a little tough. Whoever claims to love God, yet hates a brother or sister, is a liar. For whoever does not love their brother and sister whom they have seen, cannot love God whom they have not seen. And he has given us this command, anyone who loves God must also love their brother and sister. And so I, I stop and I think, and I think, is this every brother and sister we're to love? Everyone? I mean, how about, it's impossible, but how about three? Three brothers and sisters that, that, that we should love. I mean, I, if I think about it, I've got three people in my home living with us right now. And they're in my network. They're, they're my three. We get in each other's ways at times. But we, we love each other, and we'll, we'll, we'll work things out. But what happens? Let me ask you. What happens when God brings someone in your life that's, that you don't want to love, that's a brother or sister? Can you say to them or to God, uh, God, sorry, they're, they're not in my network. So I'm not required, right? Think of the most challenging person in your life to love. Because I think if there ever was a tool, if there ever was a, a method, a way, a formula, if there ever was a formula to help you become more like Jesus, meaning to become a disciple, if there's anything that's ever going to help you become more like Jesus, a disciple of Jesus Christ, this is it. Loving my brothers and sisters. You, you can't make disciples in a classroom. You, you, you just, you, you can't say, I want to I be a disciple, so where's the class? Where's the book to read? I mean, what, just, just help, just fill me with the knowledge of it, and I got it down. It takes practice. It takes loving your brothers and sisters. It takes relationship with one another. I have a, a colleague, a, a really good friend. He's a pastor in the area. And, um, and we were talking over um, uh, Thanksgiving uh, weekend. And we were talking. And, and he was kind of whining to me, as pastors do many times. Um, and he was saying about these guys on his staff that are doing this. And it's just not what he wants. And I told them, he said. And then there's someone else on their elder board that's doing this. And he says, ah, I'm just so frustrated right now. And and he just keeps going on and on. Seemed like a long time, but it's probably about a half hour, 45 minutes. And I know these guys in his church. I, I know who he works with. And I, and, I, and, I, and I stopped and I said, you know, I, I feel you. Because I got guys I work with too. And sometimes it's frustrating, you know. And I got a board and I have other leaders. And, and I wish they'd get on my program. Right? I want this to happen. And, and I get kind of whiny and naggy sometimes. And I told him, but I know one thing. I know one thing above all things. 
that Dave loves me and I love Dave. And that Martin loves me and I love Martin. And so all of this other whiny stuff that happens in my mind, in my heart, I need to set that aside. We'll talk about it, but I need to know foundationally, I love these guys. We're in love. And you got that going on too in your own life. Where you might be whining and bellyaching about your spouse or your kids or your friends or people in your small group. But you got to know we love each other. And because we love each other, we work these things out, which helps us to become more like Christ and that we grow in a healthy way. As I, as I see this, this beginning part of this letter, Paul's just laying it out, the, the, just the foundational things. He says, you need faith in Christ. You need love for all of God's people, which is a decision and an action and not just an emotion. And the third thing is this. He says, you need I find it in verse 5, you need hope in heaven. You need hope in heaven. So where does this, this confidence, this hope come from? It springs up from the hope that you have in heaven. In the Old Testament, when you read about hope, it's different than New Testament hope. In Old Testament hope, really what it meant is we're waiting patiently for something. We're looking forward to, we're, we're desiring something more. But when Jesus came, hope changed. Hope is simply a confidence that's based on God's character and promises. Paul was sent from Jesus Christ, and and Paul heard his teaching, Jesus' teaching. He saw the miracles. He saw the transformation of people. He watched him there dead on the, the empty tomb, the resurrected body, the ascent to heaven. And so he's not sitting around thinking about Jesus. I hope Jesus is good. You know, I, I hope Jesus is right. I hope Jesus is true. He wasn't like that. You see, 11 of the 12 disciples, they were killed because they believed in Jesus. They were crucified. They were run through with a sword. They were beheaded. They were sawn in two because they were in Christ. And they had confidence that Jesus said who he was. So here is Paul writing a letter from prison. He's sitting on death row. And he has confidence in heaven. And i got to remind myself of the confidence that I have. I'm a citizen of heaven. This world might be just going out the door, but I'm a citizen of heaven. I'm a son of God. I've been adopted into his family. This is the confidence. This is the hope that I have. I was baptized as a profession of my faith in Jesus Christ. I'm an heir to the throne. I'm one of the most dangerous people in the South Bay because I'm a son of the Most High. And I have a hope and a confidence that's only based not on things that I know, but the things that are based on God's unchangeable character in his firm promises. I've got to remind myself of that as I step out into this new year. We need faith in Jesus. We need love for all of God's people. and We need a hope of heaven. Now, just to close today on the back side of your notes, how do I know if I'm in Christ? How do I know if I'm in Christ? And, and I'll just say this. 
This is what every disciple knows. This is what every disciple of Jesus Christ knows. The first question is this, what do I trust in most? Do, do I trust in my husband or my wife or my boyfriend or my girlfriend or my friend? or my, Do I trust in my job or my bank statements or my retirement plan? Because whatever you trust in will always lead you to what you have confidence in. Second question is this. This is what every disciple knows. What is my life based on? What's my life based on? Many of us would probably give the churchy answer. Oh, the Bible. Let me ask you, what's your God-given purpose? What's your calling? What principles do you govern your life by? What authority do you follow in life? Is your life based on the Word of God and the will of God? We're going to talk a lot more about this next week. What do I trust in most? What is my life based on? And the third question is, how do I measure success? This is what every disciple knows. How do I measure success? Is my success measured by temporary things, things that are going to pass away in this life? Or is my success measured by eternal things? Because I read this letter, and the one sent by Jesus himself, the Apostle Paul, he writes a letter to this church that he's never been to because it was started by a man that Paul poured his life into and his ministry into. And the theme of this letter to this church he's never been to, the theme of this letter is that Jesus is greater. Let's all stand for the benediction. This morning, our benediction comes from this letter in chapter 3, verse 15. Let the words of Christ in all of their richness live in your hearts and make you wise. May you use his words to teach and counsel one another as you sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs to God with thankful hearts. And whatever you do, and say, let it be a representative of the Lord Jesus, all the while giving thanks through him to God the Father. And may the blessing of God, the love of Jesus Christ, and the presence of the Holy Spirit strengthen and encourage you as you go from here and live lives of gratitude 